Okay. So I guess this is uh, officially the start of our first Joy Life podcast, um, where we're going to kind of sit around and chat cannabis-related topics and um, kind of inform people about news and information in the industry and chat with uh, people that work here at Ajoya as well. And then maybe in the future, we'll see what else we, we have happen. But can we say who we have in the room today? No. This is Martha. <laughs> I'm the store manager of Ajoya in Louisville. And this is Joey, the CEO and co-founder of Ajoya. Cool. Yeah. You are... And I'm Matt. I'm a marketing and social media and sales guy. Um, kind of the newest of the bunch here, but it's a good place to be so far. So, yeah. Um, I guess we'll just hop back into like what we were kind of briefly starting to chat about, um, which was like the story about a Joya and how this thing all started and came to be. I know. Uh, this industry has been around for a few years, and I guess you can talk to that. Um, but kind of gives an idea of the background on the brand and how you are here today. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you've heard that that story. You may have. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I actually have. So, I mean, Compassionate Pain Management was our original store. You know, back in 2009, that was when the marijuana industry here in Colorado started to take off and dispensaries started opening up and um, I was working in a restaurant called The Lobby in Denver. I think that restaurant's still there mm. and uh, waiting tables and I was a few months at a at a college. I graduated from the University of Colorado in Boulder and um, my brother called me up one day you know and I was I didn't know what I was gonna do before I even get to my brother I didn't know what I was gonna do I was just waiting tables and I graduated with an environmental design degree okay focused on architecture and I had figured out three and a half years into college that I didn't want to be an architect so I didn't know what to do and uh, but I went ahead and finished it just to get the degree done and um, started waiting tables and was just trying to figure out am I going to go back to school to get my master's because that's what you have to do if you want to be an architect mm -hmm. um, or am I going to am I going to slave in someone else's business as an intern somewhere and you know, I knew I didn't want to do that, and um, and so I wasn't sure what to do. You know, my brother called me up one day and said, you know, I'm I'm thinking about getting into the marijuana world, you know, and and opening up a store. And at that time, you know, the big thing was it was medical only, right? So people could, for every patient that signed somebody on as their primary caregiver, that person that they signed on could cultivate six plants. And so what everybody was doing back then, like the craze in Denver, even, even friends calling me up at that time saying, hey, will you go to this doctor and get your doctor? I'll pay for the, the medical card and will you sign me on as your primary caregiver? Because hmm. everyone wanted to get their plant counts up so they could grow weed. And at that time, there was no regulation. So you could grow weed and you could sell it to dispensaries. Um, and that was the game. So I had heard a little bit of that happening from friends calling me up here and there. And then when Sean called me and said he was thinking about doing this, I kind of just blew him off a little bit. I was like, all right, you're thinking this is like another venture you're going on. Um, sounds a little bit crazy to get into the marijuana world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the time I was like, awesome. Let me know if you do it. 
you know, and then we kind of dropped it at that, you know, and all the while he was working on building out a store here in Louisville. So next to the subway, just across the parking lot where the massage place is now, hmm. about a thousand square feet. And he had found a partner um, and he was looking, he was in the middle of building out this holistic medical center that had Reiki and offered acupuncture and massage. So there was two rooms dedicated to that. And there was one room dedicated to dispensing and then there was like an office and then a safe room and a reception area and a lobby. And it was all pretty compact and condensed. Um, but had like a doctor's office feel. So he was building that thing out and, and he had sent me a, a picture one day of the lobby and was like, it's open. Like we did it. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, that was my, that was the first time I was like, all right, he really did do this thing. Like he opened up a store in Louisville and, and it's open now and he's doing business. Um, and he'll, you know, one day maybe we can have him on here and you can share his stories about yeah, we, we have know, to have what, him. yeah, definitely about, you know, what it was like for those first, you know, two months before I came on board. Yeah. Um, I know he's definitely got some stories about it, but, um, what was your, your experience with cannabis like prior to kind of jumping on board? Like what was your thoughts about it? Like, did you see positives from it or was it more like just kind of like a social type of use yeah. thing like what was your the background there I mean for me I was a recreational user you know so I I just smoked with my friends and enjoyed getting high and it was nothing more than that I didn't view cannabis in any holistic way any lifestyle health way um, I didn't view it as bad either it was just something that you know I did with my friends and we enjoyed getting high and well like growing up in Colorado that must have been like much more normal than yeah, like us growing I mean, up on I, the East Coast. I remember my first time smoking ever was, I was, I think, like 11 years old, huh. you know, and I, um, I had found a joint in one of my dad's suit pockets. <laughs> Why I was going in suit pockets is a different story, um, but I was a young kind of troublemaker kid, and I had found this joint, and you know, I was, I took it out of a suit pocket and it was really dry. I remember it being dry and I remember it not tasting great. Um, but I took it out and I like stashed it for myself. And then one day after school, I was just walking by myself huh. and I had lit this thing up and, and smoked it. You like knew and enough that didn't you could get like me, light it. And... Yeah. It didn't get me high at all. It didn't really do much of anything, but that was like one of my first, I think that was my first, as I'm like getting older, I'm like, was that the first experience or was there something else in there? Hmm. But I, I remember that in middle school, and I remember walking to like a tutor and smoking it hmm. on the way there. Um, and I remember not doing anything and it being really dry and burning. It must have been in a suit pocket probably for years. It could have been, <laughs> you know, he had like a hundred suits. That's so, so funny. That was that. But yeah, my experience before, I mean, I, and I had smoked, you know, it was normal here in Colorado, at least for me. You know, I, you know, would, after school, like get money at it for my allowance and save that up and go to Pearl Street and the courthouse in Boulder mm. on Pearl Street, like in the front of the courthouse on the lawn used to be a dirty, grungy place where people like, hung out. That's like, like they the... called them grommets. What was it? You know, it was, they called the people like grommets was the name they had for them. Huh. But it was really just like, you know, kids anywhere from probably like 15 to like 30, you know, hung out on this lawn 
and it was just like a dirty homeless area where people hung out and smoked weed and very a boulder dr- a lot of drug deals went on over there yeah that was very boulder that's wow. what that was so used to go and get weed and smoke with my friends and, and that was that before the days of the dispensaries yeah. so so yeah that was my experience before you know and then um to bring it back, you know, Sean, you know, we had gone on a family vacation in December, about two and a half months after the store opened. And that's when, when we were out there, we were just talking, you know, and, and he had expressed that he needed help running the store. And so that was the moment when I decided, you know, that I would go all in and, you know, stop waiting tables, which I was happy to do yeah. in Denver and uh, start doing cannabis. Yeah. So he kind of just, was it, did he have like a team of people that he was working with or was it kind of like his baby, his project that he kind of like? You know, it was him. He had, he had one partner. Uh, we call him Crazy Steve. Crazy Steve. Crazy Steve. <laughs> so if he's listening to this one day, yes, Steve, you. Um, but yeah, he had one partner in this and my father was involved as well because, okay. you know, his commercial real estate business, he owned this property. And uh, so that's how he got into this property. Okay. And... Um, and those were his partners. And then he had, you know, another guy, Patrick, you know, which he knew a lot about weed or we thought he did. He did know a lot about cannabis and strains and can talk about them. Yeah. Um, but back then it was very much so like it still is for a lot of people today, you know, sativa indica hybrid, you know, and he had a lot of knowledge about that, which at that time was like, wow, you're a guru, mm-hmm. you know, because people didn't really know much about anything. Or, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people had no idea what those terms were, including myself. Yeah. Um, so he had a little small team of, you know, probably four of them. Uh, you know, I'd say, cool. and then, uh, and then I came on board and joined. And what, how many years ago was that now? Would you say that was 2009, 10. So that was December, 2009. Wow. Okay. And then, uh, 2010, when we got back from that trip, you know, is when I started full time. So that was compassionate pain management. And then could you tell me a little bit, like, I guess about like the, that as a brand and like yeah like you mentioned that they had reiki and like that kind of stuff so it seems like you were like the idea there was to already kind of position as like a health and wellness thing like out of the gate yeah it was well it was it was two things one the main driver was to stay out of the view of any federal government stepping in yeah you know, and doing something like we we didn't want to have any sort of marijuana or Sean didn't want to have any sort of marijuana name going on. He wanted to keep it as holistic as possible to just, you know, try and have that view that it is holistic and it is about wellness and it is healthy. You know, it's a, it's a healthy choice and alternative to other medicines. Um, you know, that was, that was the angle, you know, that kind of initially drove it. Cause I know at that time, there was a lot of fear of business owners here in Colorado opening up dispensaries, you know, and the federal government coming down on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it was a smart way, I think, to go about it, you know, because we got an opportunity to one, I think, stay under the radar in that way, but then also bring a lot of value to medical patients and that we did offer more than just cannabis. You know, we did have outside of the three or four people that were the dispensary people, Steve, Sean, Patrick, and might even have just been them three. Mm. Um, there was an acupuncturist and there was a massage therapist. You know, they weren't full time, but they had scheduled days and they were on board. Mm. And then we also had um, doctor days, you know, where two, three days a week, you had doctors inside of the clinic with lines out the door of people coming in to get their medical cards. Oh, wow. <clears throat> so, no, I've never really heard of like a facility doing that. 
They used to be only facilities. Really? Yeah, in the early days. I mean, it used to be, there might have been some practices, but generally doctors would go to facilities and the facility would advertise and put things out there to get, to see, if, see if people want to get their medical cards. Huh. And they would come and meet with the doctor inside of one of the rooms that we had and go through their evaluation. You know, it took anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes and then walk out of there with the, with the script. And this was... I'm assuming the doctors back then, back then, making it sound like it was so long ago, but were just using like paper forms. Yeah. This was before the whole online, any this sort of online This was all paper system, forms, and you'd mail your forms into the state. Wow. And then you would, uh, you would get your medical card from that. And yeah. so it would take, you know, a month, month and a half, sometimes two months. Yeah. It really just depended. But you could use your original paperwork, copies of it, as proof that you. And a certified mail. You'd have to get some sort of certified mail piece to prove that it actually got sent out. <laughs> so those were the days. What other that. what other kind of like wild, wild west things do you remember? Like the back in the day, kind of like when the industry was just kind of first starting when we were medical only and... Uh, you know, it was... Like growing pains that you guys felt. Like I'm, I know like the MED from what I've seen in the last few years is always changing and adjusting rules and like I could imagine back then maybe even like knowing about those changes could have been a little more difficult and like I don't know just details around so well, back, back then it was much more simple yeah you know because there was no regulations to follow you just got a sales tax license you opened up your store the only regulation to follow was that you your customer had a medical card outside of that you know there wasn't and then there was two ounce limits, you know, outside of that, there was really not a lot of regulation. So back then, I mean, there was no licensed manufacturers. There was no, you know, grows that were licensed, mm-hmm. you know, so people would come in and with duffel bags or with backpacks and show us their weed every day. People would come in with weed and with some cakes or cookies mm-hmm. as well. So they'd come in. It's like the beginning of we'd the edibles. Yeah, we'd take them in the back room. They'd open up their backpack. They'd have, you know, half pound, quarter pound to full pound bags of a variety of different strains that they cultivated in their houses. And, um, you know, we would take a look at them and smell the product and maybe we'd get some samples and they would come back the next day. It really depends. and. Honestly, back then you'd sample inside the dispensary. Wow, you really? Know, like you didn't. It didn't really matter. Like you would get um, some flour, and I wasn't a huge smoker, like a functioning smoker. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't someone who would smoke during the day and go to work. I just couldn't do it. Like my eyes would get all red, and I'd start to overthink things, and just wouldn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So I stayed away from that. But Steve loved to smoke weed, you know. And Sean's similar to me. So Steve was really like the and Patrick too. Like they both smoked a lot of weed and loved it. And they just left it behind, fucked up, and that was <laughs> what they did. So, you know, they would go inside the back room and they'd pack a bowl and they'd try it and be like, oh, that's really good. Like, we should get that one. Or generally, it was always really good. Wow. And uh, yeah, I'm sure it's like, yeah, no one's going to be like, this is not, this is not good. (laughs) So you'd you'd try it and then you'd, you know, you'd negotiate and you would buy it. Wow. You'd buy your weed and then just cash as is. Just cash as is. Yeah. That's how you do it. And like, just for, for listeners or people that are tuning in, like, listening nowadays, the the system is much more regulated in that everything goes through like a state system where every gram and little every seed is tracked you know everything yeah. is tracked so that's pretty funny to hear yeah it wasn't like that back then 
Definitely yeah. not. You know, and we would, uh, the way we would get loyalty from cultivators also is if, you know, we, when, when patients came in to get their med cards, we would offer them some sort of incentive to make us their primary center. And when they would make us their primary center, back then it was actually primary caregiver, we would, the name that we would write down as their primary caregiver mm. were the growers that were selling us the weed. Wow. So that's how like we would create loyalty and partnerships there was we would get the growers patient counts so that they can cultivate more inside of their homes. And then they would bring their crops to us so that we could sell it through our store. Huh. So that's the nature of how all of that went down. That makes sense. And members would get, you know, when they did that, they would get like a discount on their, you know, application for the card and maybe that was it. I don't remember. So you, you'd mentioned like the, the naming systems too, of like the classical system, like sativa, hybrid, indica. Is that what you guys like classified your, your weed and strains like of cannabis at Compassion and Pain Management? Was yeah. it still kind of listed under that traditional format? Absolutely. Okay. You know, it was, it was listed under even a step further. I mean, we would list it as the actual numbers, like 100% sativa or 90-10 or 80-20 or 70-30 sativa dominant or 30-70 if it was indica dominant. Oh, wow. Like we would put on the menus the actual numbers for the strains, which was kind of a guesstimation, you know based on how it made us feel or what people said about the strains, um, what the lineage of the strain was, you know, we would say, oh, it's a sativa hybrid. Um, is it really heavy on the uppy elevate feeling or is it not so much there? It's more like creative focused, a little bit more down, but still alert. Yeah. And so that would be like a 60, 40 or a 70, 30 strain. And then did you see like kind of just firsthand how people sometimes would like the confusions or like did people understand that when they were coming in shopping for the first times? Like, was it something that made sense to people? Like, cause I know from my experience, some, something that is a sativa for one person could be an opposite feeling for someone yeah. else. And then it's kind of like that whole classification gets yeah. thrown up in the well, air. Well, I mean, from the beginning and it's still like this today, you know, you, you, the conversation to our patients was always, this is subjective. You know, yes, this is an 80-20 sativa dominant strain, but it is subjective. And, you know, one person might have a different experience than someone else. So you have to really understand that when you're trying different strains out. Yeah. Um, and that's how we would explain it to people. So, I mean, it was the only lingo at the time that we had yeah. to describe experiences. Yeah. You know, and, and we weren't even thinking experiences at the time. It was it was so new to me, it was so new to Sean, it was so new to the industry, you know, like you just use sativa indica and hybrid and it wasn't until being in business for several years that we really started to think like, you know, and after we learned more about what sativa actually means and that it's really referencing the species of the plant, mm -hmm. not an experience. And indica it speaks to the way the plant grows and the species of it, not the experience. Mm -hmm that we started to, you know, see that the terminology just doesn't make sense. Mm. Um, you know, and we can get into that in a little bit, but that's, you know, eventually what led us to the, to the enjoy a brand, the experience yeah. categories. Um, but yeah, that's just how we explain it to people. That's super cool. Um, you know, and on products, I mean, um, or what were you going to say? 
I was gonna, just going to kind of bring in Martha, I guess, for a moment. And at CPM, Compassionate Pain Management, you would have been coming on board there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would have kind of got to see that kind of that transition from one kind of new industry, little startup in a medical specific thing, and then it kind of blossoming into what it's become now. Yeah. And the whole marketplace going from just medical to also recreational and that explosion of business that's happened there too. So it's been crazy to see, you know, and before I came to compassionate pain management, I lived in Virginia. So coming from a prohibition state where there was almost no information or education about different types of plants or strains or anything like that to a store where we did have a breakdown of 70 sativa, 30 indica um, was mind blowing for me. It was such an advancement just going from, you know, buying something illegally off the street to being able to buy it in a store where it was comfortable and talk to someone else about it very openly was a game changer for me. And then to see the progression from there to kind of where we've gone in the last few years as a Joya, it's just been crazy to see the amount of knowledge that we gain every year and everything that we continue to learn um, mostly anecdotal mostly from conversations with patients or customers is how we've you know learned a lot of the things that we know now yeah yeah I guess that could be like a good transition then from CPM and how many years ago I guess that was now from CPM to Ajoya yeah I mean, we opened up Ajoya in October 2015. October 2015, so that would have been... About four four years ago. Four years? Actually, you know what, which um, I realized the other day, is our anniversary is this month. <laughs> the 22nd, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. I believe it was the 22nd. I could find out for sure, but I believe it was the 22nd. We're going to have to have a little party or something. Yeah, we will. Something fun for the staff. Get you something, celebrate for you. Yeah. Missed our birthday. (laughs) (laughs) This is four, though. We'll have to do something big for five. Yeah, that's true. We'll do something big for five. Yeah. Four is like, eh, five is like life changing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so the transition then happened to where you guys, was it like, was it seeing the market move towards a rec thing or was it a space that we're outgrowing the space and medical? Like what was the deciding kind of factor that made you? I mean, you know, recreational cannabis got approved in 2000, what, 13? Mm-hmm. And it went into effect in 2014. Um, and we, in April 2014, is when our CPM store also became a dual license. So that became a medical and retail license. Okay. You know, I mean, if you were in medical, you know, and when retail started, I mean, it's just a natural progression is you want to get a recreational license. I mean, from a business standpoint and just being able to serve more people. Um, and not only that, but we've always had this view, especially having been in this for four years at the time, um, that the medical qualifying conditions don't cover everything that people use cannabis for on a medicinal level, you know, so to not be able to serve the broader market, you know, medicinally was something that we, um, it just wasn't ever something that we considered not doing, 
Like we were always going to do that. And then even, you know, I'm also a believer in using cannabis recreationally. You know, I think there's a time and a place and, and I believe that it's, it's safer than alcohol. I feel like it's better than on our bodies than alcohol. Not even a feeling. I'm pretty confident in saying that it is better on our bodies than alcohol. The science Um, is out there. Yeah. I mean, the science is out there for that. And so we wanted to serve a broader market, you know, and, and it was interesting switching to recreational. I mean, business obviously, you know, doubled overnight, you know, when we started doing, had significantly more traffic coming through the door. Um, was that a hard transition to make or was it like, I know sometimes you'll have like registers set up for one thing, but then now you're going to have to have two areas or was it like, did you guys have to break, separate the store out in any way or like do it build out to kind of, yeah. I mean, our, um, so we had four rooms inside of that store and two of them over time had became medical as the business grew on the medical side. You know, we started out with one of the rooms being just dispensing and then the other one an office and then Reiki and massage. Then we turned the office into a medical dispensing room also. And then when recreational came about, we um, decided to, and then at that time, like Reiki and acupuncture and massage, to be honest, did not take off for us. It did the first like two years. How can you go on just the about the registers? Yeah, so so the if we just continue on that. Yeah, so you know, Reiki and massage did well for the first couple of years, and then over time it just started to kind of dwindle out. And um, so we decided when recreational started, you know, to make the move and build out the back two rooms to serve recreational customers. And yeah, I mean, in terms of um, you know, that transition and what it was like for the staff and for the team and, and all of that. I mean, we went from seeing, I don't even remember how many customers a day back then, to be honest with you, but it, you know, went from, you know, maybe 30 to 50 up to like 80 to 100, you know, and, and our store was really small, you know, it was maybe a thousand square feet, you know, and the lobby was, you know, a fraction of that. And so we had people lining up outside, you know, and, and in the lobby and it was just packed. and. You know, we knew that at the time, if we wanted to stay in this industry, we had to do something. We had to grow with the business. Um, the business was growing and we had to grow. It actually grow the, the size of the store and the amount of people we were able to serve and all of that. Um, or we needed to sell. And that was, you know, where we found ourselves was in that conversation of, we either need to grow and, and do something big or we need to sell and get out of this, you know, but just doing what we're doing now is not going to work. Mm. And so we decided to grow. And that was um, the decision that we made was, you know, what um, what kind of brand do we want to create? Sorry, let me backtrack a second. <laughs> yeah. The decision was to get into this industry and really double down on um, cannabis, you know, and, and focus on building a brand and an experience for people that was gonna last for five, 10, 15, 20 years in the future. Mm-hmm. And that was our mindset. You know, we didn't want to invest a bunch of money and time and resources into something that, you know, was not that we couldn't see being around in 10, 15 years from now. And so that was the approach that we took, you know, and at that time um, we just went on a journey to to figure out brand development and develop the brand and think about where we might move the store and all of that. Yeah. Could you tell me a little bit about like how that process went? Yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, I remember, and I don't know why they reached out to me or how they got my email, but at some point in 2014, 
I had gotten an email from a company. Um, they were called Highbridge Creative at the time. And it was just a, a phishing email or a spamming email or, you know, they were just reaching out, I think, to a bunch of cannabis businesses to try and get into this space. Um, and they focused on brand development. And so I'd gotten this email and I went to their website and I looked at some of the work that they did and, and I liked it. I thought it was, um, I just thought it was kind of like cutting edge and it had a good energy about it and it had a good lifestyle feel about it. You know, I think one of the brands that they worked with was Chive, the Keep Calm and Chive On mm. brands, which is pretty massive and, and they've got a massive following of tens of thousands of people and it was a lifestyle brand. And, cars and stuff. Yeah. yeah, and they even have like, you know, what's it called, like festivals and things that they put on. Okay. Um, and I just loved that this group had worked with a brand like that. Um, you know, and for us, it was, you know, again, thinking 10 years into the future, you know, we knew we had to, had to create a solid brand. There had to be some meaning behind it. And I had never done anything like this before. So I did, definitely did not have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. I did not have a plan in place. But I just it saw feel something. Like the biggest risk was at that time. What did it feel like the biggest risk was? Yeah. Um, the biggest risk, I think, was moving from 1,000 square feet to 4,000 square feet. And, you know, and we can get to that in a minute, but, you know, we decided to rebrand our company and we looked to move our store, you know, just across the parking lot was the store that we're in today, which was vacant at the time. And this location is 4,800 square feet in total. And we, um, we were going to move from where we were to here and develop we, we had developed this brand and we were uh, going to build out this beautiful retail experience for people which was going to take significant investment you know and we're a family business and it's family funded you know so this was this was the big, biggest risk you know was really doubling down on our experience and doubling down on the cannabis industry and you know investing into this store and this brand and this location on that scale um, was huge. And I think too, you know, we, so we went through this brand development process um, with this Highbridge company. So I, I linked up with them, we hit it off, I liked what they were up to, they wanted to get into the space. Um, due to 280E and not being able to take deductions, investing in marketing and branding is a challenge and we didn't have a lot of money mm. backing us. So we were able to work something out with them though, um, to get the work done at a reasonable cost. And so we went through this development with them, you know, where we met with them every week, almost every week, you know, and we sat around and we spoke about cannabis and we spoke about our experience with cannabis, the experiences we had with patients, the experiences we had with city council meetings when, when we were trying to get recreational to be legal here in, in Colorado and, uh, you know, developed this brand that was really all about just all of the know-how and experience that we had for the four or five years prior. And we took all of that and put it into this brand and, and tried to create something that would um, trans transform the way people experienced cannabis. Um, I guess we can get into the brand development in a little bit, but yeah. to, to answer your question, when we did all of that, it was such like a sleek looking brand and we wanted to create a store that really wowed people. And so, you know, we had brought in an architect and worked on the design of this thing, you know, and if you've seen our store, well, you guys have, yeah. anyone listening to this, if you've seen it, building out a store like this in 2015 and investing what we did into it and also taking the stance that, 
you know, we're not going to talk in sativa, indica, and hybrid anymore. We're going to talk in these experience categories. Yeah. That was that was the risk. I remember just like heart thumping, you know, just like when I saw the bar and I saw everything we were doing, it was just like, holy shit, are we really going to build something like this? Because this is going to get noticed. Yeah. You so know, talk, is... talk a little bit maybe about that too. Like the, like it's definitely like a unique design in terms of aesthetics in a retail space. And then the use of kind of experience categories for flower and for like these, these products um, and kind of, I mean, you had mentioned that you had gone to school for like kind of architecture type related stuff. So maybe there was like a passion there that you like wanted to bring in in some way that people don't know about. Or maybe it was just like a happy accident that kind of mixed together. But in terms of the store design. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it definitely my architecture piece did not play a role in it. I had lost passion for that. I think buildings are cool and I love fancy, you know, nice buildings. But nice homes but outside of that but you weren't uh, like designing the interior or anything okay no i mean we like i said i mean we wanted to go big like we were dreaming big and we still are today you know we had set a declaration before we came up with the name majoya before we even met with the branding company we had said when we were compassionate pain management that we want to create the most recognized and trusted brand in cannabis you know that's what we said back in 2014 before i ever connected with highbridge before we even made a decision. That was when we made the decision to be in cannabis. So, you know, when I was telling you guys about, you know, we had to decide, do we want to stay in this thing or sell it? We decided to stay in it. And on that same day, we said, we not just want to stay in it, we want to be the most recognized and trusted brand in the space. And that was what we set out to do. Um, and so with that in mind, you know, we went and developed this brand, but we weren't going to take on designing a store. You know, so, we went and I researched a bunch of architects, you know, and I probably spoke to a half dozen different architects and I met them inside the space and I walked through the space and looked at their portfolios and the work that they had done and um, happened to come across Roth Shepherd Architects and just looked at the style in which he designed retail stores. Um, and he'd also done some restaurants as well and I thought it was very sleek looking, um, very modern and something that, uh, I just wanted him to take on our brand and, and in the cannabis space and see what he could do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, so we just hit it off and I liked the work that they did. So I chose them to come in and build this out. You know, cause we, like I said, we wanted to, you know, one of the first things they said to him was when people open the door, I want them to be wowed. Mm-hmm. I want them to take a step back and just say, wow, like this is not what I thought shopping for cannabis would be like. Yeah. You know, and the, and the reason for that was you know, when we were trying to get recreational cannabis in, in the city of Louisville and we would go to city council meetings, you know, I would have to listen to people that's, that spoke out against it, you know, and they would talk about how, you know, they didn't want potheads to be in their city, you know, and they didn't want people with no morals and principles to be in their city and it would bring crime here. They don't want their children around it. Like they just moved their family to be in, you know, the number two, I think it was the number two town in the U.S. or something, mm-hmm. Louisville. And, you know, being the number two town in the U.S. and having weed just doesn't fit, you know, and and that was the view of a lot of people. And I had been doing medical cannabis for four years at the time, so I knew that was a load of shit. You know, like for me, listening to that, I couldn't get mad at them. 
what I got was they are just miseducated. Yeah. They're misinformed. Yeah. You know, they grew up with dare, they grew up with weed as a gateway drug, and they just didn't know all the benefits that cannabis can have. And I had been in this thing for three or four years at the time, and I got to see it firsthand. You know, and the amount of patients, like legitimate patients that we worked with and helped, um, you know, in the hundreds or thousands. So the stance I took was how do we build out a store and build out a brand that can have this woman who doesn't want cannabis here, who is against it, how can I build out a store to when she opens the door, she's just like, wow, I had no idea that this is what it could be like. I had no idea that this is the experience that you could have when shopping for cannabis. You know, because they have this view, right, in their minds of what it means to be a smoker and yeah. what it means to shop for the product. What they've seen in the media. What they've years. seen in the media, absolutely. And maybe even their first-hand experience, you know, when they were younger and had a bad experience and didn't like it. Yeah. You know, and, and um, the, the goal was to create an experience where they opened the door and they were just wowed and they would feel comfortable shopping there. You know, which also ties into the experience categories. You yeah, know. so if you want to like touch on that. So. Yeah, I mean, sativa, indica, and hybrid are intimidating for a lot of new consumers. And it can be hard to remember for people. You know, it's not terms they've ever heard before. They didn't grow up with these terms. Um, and so, and not only that, but we knew that sativa, indica, and hybrid don't have anything to do with the experience. You know, and that it is just the species of the plant. You know, it speaks to how they grow. Um, maybe their genetic makeup in some way, um, but still there's a lot of research and science to be done on these plants to get those findings, but it's not experience-based. Um, but all of our customers and the people that shopped with us for the last four or five years at the time, it was all about experience. You know, everyone was looking for an experience, you know, whether it was to help them with an ailment or help them on a recreational level, they were looking to use these products to get an experience when they were doing things that they loved or to just maintain their pain or whatever ailments they might be dealing with. And so we wanted to create categories and terms for those people so that when this person came into Joya and looked at the terms, elevate, focus, unwind, and settle, they can more closely connect with those terms. Like, wow, I use things to elevate my mood in my life you know, or I use things to help me focus, or I use things to help me unwind, or I use things to help me settle, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's something in cannabis that can work for me also, you know, so that was, that was the mindset with that. Yeah, it's super cool. Uh, had you seen, like, anyone else doing that? Because as far as I'm aware, it was one of the first places that I've seen kind of take the yeah. labels of sativa hybrid indica and be like wait there could be more to this and that's a trend now that we're seeing throughout the industry yeah so you know at the time we hadn't seen anybody doing it yeah. you know it was a conversation that we amongst the staff had in the store you know of just saying like and especially in my own head you know and with my brother of just like these terms don't have anything to do with the experience and there's you know a level of almost integrity there for me of like, you know, I feel like I'm saying something and selling something that's not true. You know, I'm saying this is sativa, but it's not, um, sativa has nothing to do with an experience. You know, like just the term itself has nothing to do with an experience. Mm-hmm. So there was, uh, I hadn't seen anyone doing it. It was something that we had talked about just inside of our brand development group and even before that. And so 
we decided to double down and just switch, you know, get away from this conversation about ex of sativa indica and hybrid and double down on the conversations that we were having with our patients at the time, which were experience focused. So let's create categories that are experience focused mm -hmm. for them and simplify the process. You know, over time, I think we've gotten to see that it really simplifies the way that customers select their products. You know, they're coming in for an experience. They can look at the various categories and pick products that fall into those categories or ask for recommendations of products that fall into their categories. Mm -hmm makes people feel comfortable too. It's a language that everyone's familiar with. It's vocabulary that we've all used in our lives, like Joey was saying, for you know, forever pretty much. Whereas the sativa hybrid indica conversation, you had to know, you had to have the background knowledge of what those were to feel empowered and asking for what you wanted. And if you didn't, then you felt like you were on the outside or you were uncool, you weren't up to you know, the lingo. And so I remember seeing the transition of talking to customers in that sativa hybrid indica language and then transitioning to the experience categories. Yeah. And it was so empowering for people, especially first timers to come in and not feel like they needed to study these vocabulary terms that they could just speak freely and speak about what they wanted to experience. And, you know, just in those terms was amazing to mm -hmm. see. I think like from an outsider's perspective too, one of the really cool things is like the fact that you could know like, oh, I, if you've come in never before, or if you've been in a couple times and you're like, oh, unwind products or something like, then you can be like, it's like a color almost like the blue you like sort, sort through the menus, like things become easy to pick up on when you know, like kind of the product you're looking yeah. for in that system. Versus it just being like a free for all of, of everything. It's easier kinda... to connect with, you yeah. know. Once you find out what you like and the experience that it gives, like you were saying, the color, it's easy to connect with that on a human level. Well, and for people that are listening that haven't seen colors, uh, I think the colors themselves also represent the word and the experience itself. So yeah. if you want to talk about like. I mean, it, it's true, the colors, and there's patterns, you know, associated with the col colors. And those were specifically picked, you know, to represent the different categories, you know, and the way that the patterns are designed and the colors that we pick, just like you said, I mean, was to really simplify it, you know, that you really could not only look at the word, but also identify yourself with a color or a pattern. Um, and it's, you know, I think beautiful and great marketing and branding, mm -hmm. you know, so it's great for, for that aspect as well. You know, we wanted a lively brand. We wanted to create a lifestyle brand, mm -hmm. something that was fun and enjoyable and playful. Um, but also, you know, there's a medicinal aspect to it. So that's, uh, yeah. that was that. Yeah. Cool. Um, anything else we want to touch on? No, you guys, um, you're happy with happy with podcast number one yeah i think it was great um like you said during our little intermission martha i think it's uh, a great opportunity for us to get our stories and our experiences out to the world you know and, yep. and i'm stoked to share our message yeah i'm looking forward to doing some more and then like the ideas just go crazy right i want to like have bud tender interviews yeah. uh even people industry 
influencers. Like I think Lauren would be great to have in one of these seats for an episode. Yeah. And then just any time we have a rep come in for a pop-up, I'm going to be like, hey, can I steal you for 15 minutes? Like yeah. get them in for a segment because, yeah. I think it's a really cool idea. So thanks for sitting down, 100%. guys, and talking. A joy of life, man. A joy of life. A joy of life. Cool. That's it.